Morning, everybody. Morning. Morning. Yeah, Ken, we got two more minutes until we hit afternoon, so morning's, morning's going to be all right. <laughs> Hopefully everybody's doing all right today. <sighs> Thank you for your uh, reading, James. We will be in First Peter 2, 4 through 10, but we're going to be in a lot of places. This is going to be one of those, let's open our Bible and it sounds like bacon is cooking. That's going to be one of, one of our mornings this, this morning here. So uh, let's, let's get ready for that. The definition of the word purpose is the reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists. The reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists. Some time ago, after I was starting to you know, get on the opposite end of puberty and I was getting over my awkward, tall linkiness, uh, I started to play basketball. I was on a basketball team. I was not very good. Um, I got good later, but I was, I was not very good, not, not very good at all. Um, me and the bench were good friends. Um, <laughs> the purpose of that basketball team was to win basketball games. That was, that was our goal. That's, uh, at a, it might be different when you're younger and developing skills, but once you reach the high school level of play, the purpose of the basketball team is to win basketball games. The purpose of that team was not to develop skills. Did it develop our skills? Yes. I mean, I was, eventually I did get good. Um, after a lot of practice too. But uh, did it develop the skills of even the better players? Yes, of course, it developed their skills together as a team. It developed their individual skills. You know, the more you play a sport, the better at the sport you become, of course. But the purpose of us, the purpose of that basketball team was not to get better. The purpose was to win. And then we got better. Additionally, the purpose of that team was not for us to be in shape. Uh, we were in shape, we had to be in shape. That's why we won some, some games that we won. Cause, you know. It's, part of being in a sport. But that was not our purpose. The purpose of that basketball team was not to get people in shape. Nor was the purpose to make friends. We made friends. Sometimes we would hang out outside of just, you know, practicing games. And even when we would go um, out of town for tournaments or whatever, and we were at a hotel, and of course we would have fun. We would go to restaurants together. We would enjoy ourselves, but the purpose was not to befriend people. On that basketball team, our purpose wasn't to develop our skills. It wasn't to develop our bodies and be in better shape. It wasn't to make friends. All of these things happened. All of these things were true, but our purpose was to win basketball games. And that was what should have been at the forefront of all of our endeavors. Fortunately, developing our skills, getting in good shape, and being friends with one another is something that could help us win basketball games. But we accomplish those things because they accomplish our end, winning basketball games. On the slightly nerdier side of things, I'm a big fan of Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's a Dragon Ball Z game that came out in 2007 uh, that, this is a long story that you can talk with me after about, that I happen to be one of the best players at, like, ever. It's, it's something that's it's, it's like, I have, <laughs> I have about three things in life I'm good at, and that's one of them. Um, when I first came to Georgia State University, actually, um, I, I was living on campus, and I, I brought it with me. It's, once again, it came out in 2007, it's an older game. But it's known along online as like one of the best Dragon Ball Z games ever made. People love it. It just came out right before online gaming. Therefore, people can only play it in person with each other. If you care, it's called Dragon Ball Z Budokai Tenkaichi 3. I'm sure, I'm sure you don't care. I'm sure you don't care. But uh, I brought it to campus and I wanted to, you know, see, all right, I haven't really found any people that are good yet. Let me uh, open it up to the college campus. I put up some flyers or whatever. Um, and now, as college campuses go, where there's one flyer, there's 100 flyers. So I only got about seven or eight people at first. But then we were playing in the, in the uh, lobby area of the building I lived in. And people would be walking by and be like, oh, is that Dragon Ball? Is that Budokai Tenkaichi 3? And if they said it right, I knew they knew the game. So you know, I would say, oh, come on in, come on in. And uh, eventually the flyers fell or something, but I never pit up more because that group of seven or eight grew to a group of 51 people very quickly. Um, and you know, only 12 could play at a time, so I didn't, I didn't, need, I didn't need any more. But uh, we, we, had, we had a little group, group over there. It was, it was fun, we played on Friday nights. Um, that was my first semester freshman year before life got a little bit more busy. But we really enjoyed it, it was, it was nice. We would bring the PlayStation out to the first building, the lobby, and you know, we'd, we'd play for hours, we'd play for hours. The purpose of that group of people, the purpose of us was to share fun with an old game. You know, it's, it's, it's PlayStation 2, people had PlayStation 4s. It was an old system, it was an old game, but it was fun, and so our purpose was to get together and to share fun with that old game. Our purpose was not to play new games. Sometimes it happened. 
sometimes, eventually, especially as the semester rolled on, other people would bring some of their games. You know, like, hey, do you also play Call of Duty? Do you play Smash Bros? Do you, you play this, that, and the other? And people would play those, too. That wasn't our purpose, though. Our purpose was not to bring back an old game. We weren't trying to resurface Budokai Tenkaichi 3, BT3. We weren't trying to resurface BT3. We weren't trying to have anybody remaster it. Did a lot of us want that? Did I want that? Did I do a ridiculous amount of extensive research into the companies to realize why that hadn't happened yet? <laughs> and, and discover it was because of contracts? Yes. But that wasn't our purpose. That wasn't why we got together. Even though we all fantasized about it. The reason that we got together was to enjoy that old game and to share fun with it. We didn't, we didn't get together, in fact, we didn't get together for our education. We were in school, at a university, Georgia State University, but our purpose of getting together was not for our education. Now, playing new games, bringing back an old game, and even our education actually did not too much relate to us having fun with this old game. They were really side effects. We got together to share fun with an old game. But as a side effect, some people did play new games. As a side effect, some people, you know, talked about bringing back an old game and realized we couldn't. Uh, as a side effect, or as a different related effect, we were there for our education. But that's not why we were there. We were there to share fun with an old game. In both of these places, the athletic one and the nerdy one, these are just two personal things that, you know, uh, that I've been part of in my life, collectives I've been part of in my life. But there's a collective that we all share here, the collective being Christianity. I titled this lesson, uh, What is the Purpose of Being a Christian? And uh, I think, uh, I want to clarify, I'm not talking about becoming a Christian. The purpose of becoming a Christian is to be saved. We all understand that. But once one has crossed that threshold, after you made the tryouts, after, you know, the purpose of the tryouts is to get on the team. After you're on the team, what's the purpose? It's not winning basketball games for us. Let's turn over to uh, 1 Peter 2, where uh, James did that reading for us. 1 Peter 2, beginning in verse 4. We read in that section one more time, verses 4 through 10. And it reads, Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, quote, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And, quote, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word, to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who have, a, who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I'm just going to take a reading from Ephesians. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Peter was clear there. He said it was to proclaim something. Starting uh, verse 1 of Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, it says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Jesus Christ that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In this section of scripture, the writer Paul here to the uh, Ephesians is not talking about literal creation. He's talking about those who were created anew in Christ. We know this from the earlier context when we're talking about how those who once were. And he says, again in verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. I'd like to take another reading from Matthew. This one we're all more familiar with. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain, which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Finally, I'd like to throw it back a little bit to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 12, 11 through 14. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails, given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. Throughout 1 Peter, Ephesians, and Matthew, and a number of other scriptures throughout our Bible, a number of verbs were used, a number of verbs, whether it would be proclaim, whether it would be baptize, whether it would be teach, whether it would, it, it is always an active verb, an active verb being given there, namely the verb of sharing the light that is Christ, the verb that is going out, the verb that is in some form or another, whether it's through their own lives, through the words that they said, preaching, sharing the word, furthering the gospel. And to make it a little bit more practical, when you look at Ecclesiastes, that's because at the end of the day, that's the end of the day. Once, once the sun sets and it's all over, you know, the things here just won't carry as much weight. The things here just don't have as much purpose to them. You see, things that are the purpose carry through beyond just the current moment. When you go to any basketball stadium and you see the banners up there of the championships they've won, that's because those were the purposes. While I'm sure Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen were great friends, you don't have any banners in the Chicago Bulls stadium with a picture of Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen giving each other a hug. You have banners of the championships that they won. Uh, my friends and I, when we were playing Dragon Ball Z, you know, we don't, we, we, had, we had a group chat. We had a large group chat for, for the game. And even though we were all there, we didn't have a group chat for our education, which is maybe telling. But we didn't, have, <laughs> we didn't have a group chat for studying. Of course, we studied. Of course, most of us are doing very well. But that wasn't our purpose. Our purpose, and that which stayed, that which has longevity, even when I still have my phone, was the one that aligned with the purpose of the group. The purpose of us being a Christian and I, I don't think this is news, I don't think this is news, but it's just very straightforward, is to further the gospel, to spread it to those who are lost, to deliver it to the open ears of those who haven't heard it, to proclaim, like James read this morning. So what isn't the purpose of being a Christian? Because I think we all know that there's a number of things that we very much are part of and very much enjoy that are part of Christianity that might not be what we found there in First Peter, Ephesians, and Matthew, and Ecclesiastes, and a number of other places. The purpose of Christianity is not personal success. Let me uh, start over here at James. 
James 4. James 4, 7 through 10. It reads, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. There's no doubt to the truth of that statement. There, there's, it's, it's saying, very, it's not you know, even asking a question or giving a command, it's saying a declarative statement. That if you humble yourselves before the Lord, he will lift you up. And we see this throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, in our personal lives. We see individuals who have humbled themselves with the Lord and are brought up. Sometimes even spiritually, sometimes physically. We know those of us who are well off. Um, but let's turn over to Romans. Let's turn over to Romans 8. Romans 8, 18 through 30. Romans 8, beginning at verse 18, says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory of the... Excuse me. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? For if, for if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, excuse me, now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. This section of scripture here in Romans 8, a little lengthy, but it's more or less hitting at the point that earth is groaning, all of, all of the creation is groaning, and not just that, but even we people, in fact, even we Christians, those who have the spirit are groaning, waiting for the day to be adopted. But as he goes on, he talks about perseverance. He talks about why we can continue, because we have the spirit who makes intercession for us through Jesus Christ. And that uh, as, as we pray, we can be heard, that our groanings can be heard, and that we know that all things will work together for good to those who love the Lord. To those who are called according to his purpose. In fact, as the section finishes out here, it talks about being called to a purpose, being called to a calling multiple times. Yes, it's true that if you humble yourself, you may be lifted up. Yes, it's true that all things will whether in this life or the next, work together for us personally. Yes, it's true that there are many of us who, by living our lives through biblical principles, can do well in this life, whether it be uh, through tangible means or even intangible means, through connections, through family, through friends. Just You can do well. You can succeed. Succeed is not always measured, of course, by your bank account numbers, uh, by which I'm very unsuccessful, but succeed is not always measured through your bank account numbers. It's measured sometimes through the happiness and the connections you have. Or it can be measured even through the salvation that you can have secured. These are all true things, but none of these are the purpose of Christianity. Personal success is not the purpose of our Christianity. Look at the apostles. The apostles, and we know this just through historians of the, of the time, none of them really had too much personal success by the end of the day. Um, they had a lot of, there was a lot more blood than personal success. There was a lot more suffering. 
Or the lucky one got to live alone on an island until he died. Fortunately, in the day and age, in the place that we're currently living in, that's not such, so much of an immediate threat. But I mean, they were gainfully employed. Some of them had family, some of them had wives. Those things, some of them they still got to enjoy, some of them they didn't. But it was all irrelevant because it wasn't the purpose. They were side benefits or side effects that might have been enjoyed. But they, instead of focusing on fishing or focusing on even honestly tax collecting, they focused on purveying the gospel. And sometimes those side things took a hit because of it. Look at Paul. Paul was studying under one of, you know, basically the, the Neil deGrasse Tyson of the time. He, he was studying under one of the more intelligent scholars of the time and learning from him and was going to be, you know, perhaps next in line. We, we, know, that, we know just from reading the accounts that he, he was not in any way lacking when it came to prestige. When it came to you know being, it's like going going to an Ivy League school and studying under you know the tenure professor. And this is he was he was in the right place at the right time, and he was capable. We know he was capable because we saw what he did with the gospel. He was capable. That is not what he sought after. It's not like he sought after to maybe become the best Pharisee and even restore the Pharisaical order to something more akin to the Pentateuch, more akin to the Word, or even trying to you know spearhead that movement from Judaism to Christianity. Or even <laughs> anything of the sort that had anything to do with what he had spent his whole life up doing up until that point. He gave up personal success for the cause of Christ. Now he found some personal success too. Paul, we know he had multiple missionary journeys all throughout Asia and areas of Africa and they were wildly successful. You know, he, he was part of the reason, and his work through Christ, along with the other apostles in the first century church, was part of what really got Christianity a strong start. I mean, he's, we, we were, he did great. There was wonderful success in what he did, but it wasn't the personal success he originally sought, and the success he did have was a side effect of his purpose of sharing the gospel. The success he did have was not because he was teaching, searching after to be a renowned preacher, searching after to, you know, herald the Jews. Because if so, there were better ways to get it done that. He started off as enemies of Jews and Christians, and he ended off as enemies of just the Jews. But I mean, he, could have, he definitely could have made that a little bit more palatable. He could have used some of his Roman citizenship. He could have uh, instead taken this and found different ways to personal success. Whereas having connections to the Romans, to the Jews, and to the Christians made things melt together in a way that made him comfortable, in a way that even would have perhaps spread the word in a more lukewarm way, but in a more widespread way. And it would have given to greater personal success other than living at house and rest until, until your death. That's the glorious way to go out, house arrest, after of course being shipwrecked a couple times, beat to death, near to death a couple times, and losing a couple of friends, and having occasional strife, but all of those things had to be endured because they fall in line with his purpose. All of those things had to be endured because they, they, anything else did not. He gave up his personal success, found some form of success, but it was as a side effect of the purpose. And then of course we see this in Jesus Christ. Of course we see this in our Lord and Savior. He, uh, the scripture says quite clearly that he left his riches and became poor so that we can become rich. Uh, he left the heavenly abode. I can't imagine living amongst ants. But he loved those ants. He loved us. And for that reason, because of his love for us, you know, his purpose sprang from that love on our behalf. It still blows my mind. I mean, we talk about it often, but it blows my mind just to consider the, the paradox of the creation dying for the creator. If I, if I, I have a number, a number of my friends program. I, don't, I just don't see them entering the virtual world and sacrificing themselves for their program. I, just, I, I used to play with Legos. I don't see myself trying to you know, make things right. Even if I had the ability to give my Legos free will, I very likely would have just said, like, oh, I don't like this one, and break it apart. <laughs> let, me try, let me try building a better one. Let me try new. If I had Legos at free will, I don't think, I, I, I don't know if, I, if a 10-year-old Josh would have been like, you know what, let me... 
let me sacrifice myself for this creation. But that's what happened. That's what happened. If I, if I made a drawing and the drawing wasn't good, I might erase it or throw away the paper. I wouldn't try to sacrifice myself for it. But that was his purpose and that was his goal and that's what he did for us. And so he went from 3D to 2D. He went from divine to us. And then not divine and led us, divine and was at the feet of us, washed the feet of us, was sacrificed for us, willingly, because it fell in line with the purpose. The purpose of saving the lost, because he loved the lost, because it is not God's will that any will perish. Not because it's some kind of groaning thing, but because it's enthusiastically his purpose. That's why it was able to bring God's pleasure, because it's his purpose, it's his love that strives that through. <clears throat> the purpose of Christianity is not personal success. It's a side effect that can happen. You can have some personal success, you can find uh, ways to have some form of whether it be material or non-material success, but if so, it happens as a side effect. It's not the purpose. We see this clearly through the apostles, through Paul, through Jesus Christ. But additionally, social success, social prosperity, is not the purpose of Christ either. It's not the purpose of Christianity. If you'll turn with me to 1 Peter, we'll go back there, 1 Peter, but we're going to be reading a little bit later in chapter 2, starting in verse 11. 1 Peter 2, <coughs> 11 to 17. It reads... Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you, you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors, or as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. This section of scripture opens up by... Um, talking about how we are sojourners and pilgrims here. And then it gets into the government. You know, this is, of course, a letter, it's a discourse, and then it gets into the government. Mind you, the government that we have here is not the democratic United States of America. It's the authoritarian, totalitarian, the emperor of, uh, of, of Rome. That's what we're dealing with. And uh, we're, you know, Peter writes, similar to how Paul writes elsewhere, to go ahead and submit the government to go ahead and, for, rather for, uh, for the Lord's sake, whether it's to the king, to the governors, to those who are sent by him, etc. But it does go and say that, for it is the will of God that by doing good, we can put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, not using that liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bond servants of God. In other words, as those sojourners and as those pilgrims, we're not really bound to whatever Rome feels like. We're free from that. Therefore, we shouldn't use that free, uh, we shouldn't use that freedom, we shouldn't use that liberty as a cloak for vice to be able to do whatever we want. Oh, it doesn't matter. We can, you know, who cares what Rome thinks? We can do what we want. No, it, we're still to submit because that freedom is supposed to be as bondservants of God. So that we can, to paraphrase, pit to ignorance, or pit to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And it's talking about here how we are, you know, the government will do what the government will do. And we are to submit to it but that we can, we can't put the silence, the ignorance of foolish men. However, 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 let's also turn and pair this scripture with Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 13-16. <clears throat> you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, I shall it be seasoned. It is then good for nothing to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand that gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 
Let's also read Philippians. Philippians 3, beginning at verse 17. Philippians 3, beginning at verse 17 through 21. Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk, as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it might be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. First Peter, we see there in those verses 11 through 17, like in verse 15, that we can't put to silence the ignorance of the foolish, those who might be, in the, in the context of that scripture, which is talking about government, might be foolish. We are able to put them to silence with our good works, but it might not always happen. We are able. There's something to be said about the fruits of the Spirit, and we see that when we read that in Galatians. But that might not always be what happens. When you look at the um, parable the Lord gives in Matthew 5 about the light, it talks about how uh, you don't pit it under a basket, you don't hide it. A light shines. But if you have a lamp in a dark place and that light shines, the, you know, people who see that light are brought to it, but it's because they come out of the darkness that is still present. He has to put a city on a hill, not five suns around earth. Light exists, our light exists, because darkness exists. And I suppose it could have been the work of the Lord, it could have been the work of Christ to come and just remove darkness completely. It could have been the work of him to come and remove all signs of anything that is not his light. But that didn't fall in line with his purpose, because we see here in Philippians 3, in that 20th verse, that our citizenship is in heaven. And there, we know that there will be no darkness. There we know that it will be light. While we are here, while we are here in society, while we are here in American society, while we are present in whatever society, whatever place and time we are in, where it is to our benefit and where it is feasible, we should, through our, through our Christianity, through whatever means that we have, quote, pit to silence that ignorance. <laughs> if, if any of us have any form of news or media at all, we know that there's plenty of ignorance floating around today. But it is not our purpose to go and work ourselves to death until we put it all to silence. If that was our purpose, we would never reach it. <laughs> because as lights put on our hill, we are to shine. We, we are not asked to set ablaze the entire realm of Earth. We are asked to be a light. And we are asked to do so because our purpose is not fixing society. Society has a lot of problems. It does. But the fix of society was Jesus Christ. The fix of society was not fixing society, it was beyond society. That was the sacrifice that Christ made. That was Christianity. And again, let me reiterate, you know, I am all for bettering society. Social change is a good thing when it's a good thing. That's something that we should pursue, that's something we should be part of, to pit, to silence that ignorance. But that's a side effect. That's not the purpose. The purpose of Christianity is not to be the Lord saving political party that will right America. Frankly, America isn't mentioned in the Bible. Frankly, America didn't get here until about 200 years and some change ago. Frankly, America might not be here 200 years and some change. Maybe three or four, looking at you know, the course of world uh, dominations. While we're here, we ought to make it a better place. We ought to go out of our way to help people. It's our duty as men, as women, as Christians. But it comes as a side effect, and that is our purpose. Because our purpose, you know, we're sojourners, we're travelers. Our citizenship is somewhere else. And our purpose is to get there. And our purpose, that's, excuse me, 
our, our purpose was to get there, and now that we're going there, assuming that we are Christians, assuming that we are these sojourners who have our citizenship, our purpose is to share that citizenship with others. Our purpose is to share that knowledge, share that gospel, share that good news, so that they too will not be stuck in this problematic society. But that they can have their anchor set somewhere beyond, so that they can have that, um, have that liberty, have that freedom, not to do whatever they want here, but to know that they can submit, that they can try to buy for change, but that their anchor is placed somewhere else. The purpose of being a Christian is not social prosperity and social success. Look at Israel. When Israel wanted to have a king, it's because they wanted to be like all the nations around them. The chosen nation of God wanted to have a king. They wanted to be different. They wanted to have someone, and eventually they got Saul, and then eventually things went downhill. Because Israel got confused about their purpose, the purpose of being a people set apart, the purpose of being a people from God, and they got that confused with being a country that, you know, can stand up with the countries to their left and to their right. And we saw what that did to Israel. And you know what? I'm not in the mind of God. I cannot speak for him. But perhaps, perhaps that was at least to some extent to show us that that way doesn't work. Didn't work for Israel. It wouldn't work for us. Perhaps that was to show us that the purpose of Christianity is not to make things perfect here. It's to get people to the perfect place beyond here. That's the purpose. Look at Agrippa. Agrippa, Caesar, uh, who was one of the uh, kings of Rome. We know that when Paul was speaking to him, he said to Paul eventually that yeah, he was almost persuaded to the cause of Christ. And of course, you can read more about that conversation in the book of Acts, which we won't do for the sake of time. But it's curious to note that Paul had the ear of the leader of his nation, which was the leading nation of the world. And his conversation had nothing to do with social change. That's not to say that's a bad thing. You know, if I had the ear of the president, I might say things that we can do to make our society better. But Paul didn't. Paul's focus was on something much more important. His focus was on the soul of Agrippa not on the society of Rome. And it's not like Paul couldn't have. He was a Roman citizen. He was acquainted with Roman politics. I don't know how things were back then exactly, but Paul, Paul did. He was a learned man and a citizen of that country. But his focus was on something that was in line with the purpose. His focus was on the purpose <laughs> towards Agrippa, towards himself, and as we know through other scriptures, towards the people of Rome. It was not about Rome. It was about what was better than Rome. And of course, again, we see this through our Savior, Jesus Christ. They laid down leaves, of course, for him to walk. They hailed him as king. They were waiting for him to overthrow Rome, but that was never his purpose. And this is something we all understand and are familiar with. That was never his purpose. He didn't come here to fix Jewish society. They tried that with Saul and a bunch of other people later, and that did not work. He came to deliver those who have a heart open to him to something better. The purpose of Christianity is to purvey the gospel among men, that they may be saved. It's not personal success, though that might come or might not come with it. It's not social success, though, I mean, we ought to, you know, try if we can. It's just not, it's not the point. It's just not the point. And this one, <clears throat> finally, uh, on things that are not the purpose of being a Christian, I, I will admit this one. Uh, I did not come to this conclusion until I was finishing up this lesson. Then I, I was like, well, I guess that's, if I'm being honest, that's not the purpose. The purpose of Christianity is not the Christian family. By the Christian family, I mean the brothers and sisters. That's not the purpose of Christianity. Let's go to Hebrews. <clears throat> Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 19. Hebrews 10, 19. Through 24, it reads, Therefore, brethren, having the boldness, excuse me, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Again, as it says in 24 and 25, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves, but exhorting one another. It talks about the Christian family here. It talks about the fact that we need to be there for one another, love one another, exhorting one another, encouraging one another. Let's also go to Colossians 3. Colossians 3, beginning at verse 12. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. It says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were also called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Hopefully you notice that word again in verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. Be thankful. Which will take us over quickly to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, beginning on verse 11. 11 through 16. Which reads, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunningness and craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We see in these scriptures, in Hebrews, it talks about how they need to be together as a unit, as Christians, how they need to meet together. And then, of course, we see those same uh, sentiments continued in Colossians, where it talks about sharing that love, forgiving one another, encouraging one another with singing, etc., etc. And even here in Ephesians 4, it talks about all the different roles that can be played of those who are of the body, how together they can support the body in such a way. But when you look carefully at all of these scriptures, you'll notice a difference compared to what we were originally reading. Way back, if you remember, when we were talking about what the purpose of being a Christian is, and all of those active verbs that we read about going, about preaching, about sharing, about telling. In these scriptures, and other scriptures like them, you have more verbs of the family be, of the, of, of the family are, of, of, of descriptive phrases that talk about states of being and tell us how to further encourage and bolster those states. And they always end, or reference at some point throughout, about, you know, the calling. It talks about how we need to do all these things towards the cause which we are called, or do all these things for the head of the body. Which makes sense. Because if we're a boat sailing on a sea of the lost world, we need to make sure our boat's in good order. We need to make sure that our team of sailors, captains, everybody's in sync so we don't capsize. We need to make sure that we're encouraging one another. We need to make sure that we're there for one another. We need to make sure that we're not having strife amongst us, that we're unified. But we're not sailing so that we can sail smoothly. We're sailing smoothly so that we can save the lost. Because, as a house that's built on that cornerstone that we read about earlier, our purpose isn't to have the most furnished, good-looking house ever. Our purpose isn't to have every single piece of that house and foundation set properly. No, we need to have the pieces and the foundations of the house set properly so that the house can be filled 
we talked about that even about in a Bible class of, of two or three weeks ago. It's not about the house looking good. It's about the house being right and looking good so that the house can be filled. Finally, when we look at the body, and it's, which is, we've talked about in a couple of these scriptures, the body which is under the head, it's the, the, the reason that the body needs to be put together, such as we read here in Ephesians, is not so that the body can just be healthy. It's because the body has work to do according to the head. And we know this even with our own bodies. The reason that we, hopefully, drink lots of water, the reason that we might you know, work out, the reason that we might take care of ourselves isn't just so we can exist and sit down and be like, man, glad I'm in good shape. No, it's because we have jobs to do. It's because we have work to do. It's because we have things to accomplish. We need our bodies in good health so that they can do the will of our heads. We need our houses in good shape so that they can house our families and maybe even our extended families and our guests. We need to take care of our boat and make sure it doesn't capsize because we're on a rescue mission. That's our purpose. The purpose of Christianity is not the Christian family. It's arguably the greatest benefit that it has to offer. It's the greatest saving grace that it can bring to us that together and the Christian family we have one another. But that's not our purpose. This is not a fraternity. We are not in this for the sake of having each other. No, we have each other because we all have the same purpose. And that is what makes the Christian family so powerful. It's the greatest benefit we have. But it's a good thing that it's not the purpose because if the Christian family was the purpose, well, for one, that's a, that's a slippery slope to some corruption. That's a slippery slope to having some, to having some problems. That's a slippery slope to when the church falls, I guess we fall too. I guess that, you know, if the particular congregation doesn't fall in line with the word, then well, that's all right. Just stick with the congregation. Don't stick with the word because it's about each other. It's not about each other. That's the best thing that we have, but that's not what it's about. When I was playing basketball, I was very grateful for my teammates, especially once I finally got good and got to really play with them. I was very grateful for them. I enjoyed them. But it wasn't about them. It was about us winning. You know, it wasn't about me hoping that they thought good of me. It wasn't about them. It wasn't about me trying to cater to them especially. It was about us as a team doing what we could do best so that we could win. The same applies to us as a body. We exist as a body to serve the purpose of the head, not just to exist and enjoy the benefits of our existence. Which is important. Which is important because that's not what we always see around us. It cannot be said that every establishment that holds the name church, where is that focus? And I'm using this in the broad sense. Due to the social Christianity that we have in our country today, it is the purpose of a lot of, quote, churches to have each other. That's what they meet for once a week, and then they go about their days for the other six. God forbid that be us. God forbid that we uh, exist for the social and even encouraging aspects of the body and then forget what we're doing for the other six and a half days of the week. God forbid that, you know, we use the way, it's funny how vernacular and terminology changes with history. The word church used to be, um, it is, people, and we know this, ecclesia. The word church is the called out. That's literally what it means. But not if you're talking with somebody now, church is a place you go to, not a people that you are. It's something you do, not something you are. That's what people, that's people use it. But that's not what it is. It is not something you do. It is something that you are. It's about being called out, like we've read over and over through these scriptures, towards a purpose. That is the church, the called out towards a purpose. And we have to remember that. And, you know, I don't, I don't say that as like some kind of critique at in town. I think, you know, we, we are doing the Lord's work here. But that's not to say that we can't all do better. I mean, we, are, we, live in, we live in one of the biggest urban cities in the world, definitely in the nation. Most of us are from suburbia in this room. We can do better. I know I can do better. You know, I have this thought often sometimes. I can, I can definitely do better. I need to sometimes remember that I'm not on this boat to be comfortable and encouraged by my fellow sailors. 
that is a side effect and that is the greatest benefit I have, but that's not why I'm here on this boat. In fact, even if it's a little uncomfortable, even if my private suite becomes a double bunk, I'm supposed to be saving people who are drowning. <clears throat> because there was a time when I was a drowning. And somebody else decided to create this boat so that I can have a dry place to stay. This boat doesn't run on machinery or oil. This boat runs on the sacrifice in the blood of Jesus Christ. And it would be a shame if I abused that fuel because of my own comfort, because, of, because, I'm, because I'm dry, because I made it, instead of remembering why this boat is in the ocean in the first place, instead of remembering why this body is walking around in the first place, instead of remembering why this house is being built in the first place, it's to be filled with those who are still outside. In conclusion, as Christians, our purpose, the reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists, is to share the good news to bring men towards salvation. Our purpose is to be what the head's purpose is, to share that love in temporal ways but towards the most eternal way possible to our fellow men. In the world, this means that when we sail in this boat, we sail to rescue, not sail to sail. It means that we build our houses to house people. It means that we live our, in this body in order to do work. It means that when we're at work, when we're at school, we're remembering that when we're with our families, close families or extended families, when we're starting our own families, we remember that. Why are we doing this? Again, you know, you can have side effects. You can have other things that sometimes collude and sometimes don't collude with your purpose. But it needs to be at some level, and some level it needs to be because of your purpose, because of my purpose, because of our purpose. Otherwise, we're not Christianing, because Christianing is a state of being. Being a church is a state of being. It's not a thing you do. It's someone that you are. And if we, as Christians, we can't just do Christianity sometimes. We have to remember that as our purpose. We have to be Christians all the time. It was a voluntary agreement. In fact, it's a voluntary agreement that we can step away from at any moment. But I, judging by the fact that we're all here, I don't think any of us are of that mindset. And then as the church, the same thing applies. As the church, as his called out people. We have to remember that we're sailing to rescue, that we're building to house, that we're living to work. As Robin comes and sings the song, as we uh, continue our worship here to our God, if for any reason you feel that perhaps you want the encouragement of those around you, of the fellow body who are joined knit together, let us know, talk to someone, whether at this moment or at a moment that's more appropriate for you, whether it's right here or whether it's in your seat or whether it's later, please do so. Not just for your sake, but for the purpose, for the purpose that we have together, for the purpose of him who died so that we can be together. Robin, I think so. Two, eight, three.